0: Amen. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Amen? Amen. Prophet Jeremiah says, For I know the plans I have for you plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and to give you a hope. A hope. And it's my prayer, church family, that uh, you will know in your head and feel in your heart that the Lord wants to give you a future. And the Lord wants to give you a hope. So with that, good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning. And it's good to be together in the house of the Lord. It's good to begin our week together. If you're new here at the church, uh, my name is Randy, and uh, I'm just privileged to be the lead minister here at the church. And uh, uh, very quickly, I hope that you will feel that you've just come home, that you've come home um, we talk about being a life-changing community, passionately pursuing Christ. And so for us for us, that means uh, pursuing him upwardly in worship, pursuing him inwardly in learning and studying his word, and then pursuing him outwardly in serving and in sharing. So so we're a we're a worshiping, learning, studying, serving church. And uh, on that note, uh, Uh, As you came in uh, through the foyer to the worship center today, you may have noticed our ministry fair. And a ministry fair is just both a communication and an invitation. We want to communicate just ministry opportunities. We want to invite you to experience the joy of selfless service. And then we want to invite you into that experience And uh, so uh, before you leave, uh, if you haven't already, just kind of uh, wander around and and linger, if you would. Uh, uh, you'll meet some fellow uh, Windsor Road servants who would love to involve you and invite you into the joy of selfless service Uh, I'm going to be in a place called the fireside room it's through these glass doors and to the right and I would just be delighted to just spend a little bit of time of your time with prayer and encouragement we want to know what's on your heart And so, if you'll uh, just fill out the prayer cards in front of you, uh, we will pray for those prayer requests uh, at our Tuesday morning staff meeting. And then also this Tuesday night, we have another elders' meeting. And we uh, want to remember both your encouragements and your prayer requests. Amen. So, we're in a teaching series over the book of Hebrews, the New Testament book of Hebrews. And um, I want to put a tag on our message today. By faith, help for hope fatigue. Say that with me. By faith, help for hope fatigue. Again, by faith, help for hope fatigue. Help for hope fatigue. That, that, that's what therapist Leslie Alderman calls it. Hope fatigue. Uh, In a recent Washington Post article titled, Eight Ways to Feel Less Anxious About Things Beyond Your Control, Alderman calls hope fatigue the latest mental health challenge. She she says that more and more therapists are seeing patients um, uh, whose symptoms include weariness and worry and disengagement and resignation. Now, weariness and worry are not really new, but this idea of, of uh, kind of a, a disengaged resignation. She says that when the pandemic hit three years ago, people asked about when life would be back to normal. She says no one's asking that now. She says there's an unspoken recognition that the chaos we are experiencing might be with us for a long time. And so she lists unsettling events beyond the pandemic, such as gun violence, the George Floyd murder, mass shootings, political strife, communities decimated by fires, children's safety at school, nuclear war. Uh, she notes how uh, doomsday scrolling, or excuse excuse me, dooms scrolling. That's how she put it. Dooms scrolling. How doom scrolling technology puts all of these stories right at your fingertips, right at your phone. She says people are tired of hoping that the pandemic will end. People are tired of hoping that the Ukraine war will be over. That mass shootings can be controlled. That our government can address these pressing crises. She says the human nervous system wasn't designed to juggle all these crises at once. Hope fatigue. Hope fatigue. I'm wondering if anybody here struggles with hope fatigue. I'm wondering. Now, is that just is that just folks on the East Coast or do Midwesterners struggle with hope fatigue? I read that article, and it made me curious about asking and probing a deeper question. Question like this. Question like this What's the core issue here? what's What's the thing that's draining and depleting our hope? What is that? What is that? It takes many forms, but at heart, it seems to me that the thing that drains human hope the most is the simple idea that things are not going to change and they're not going to improve. They're not going to get better. That, that, to me, is the root of it. It's, it's like Groundhog Day. Hope fatigue. It's about more than world events. Hope fatigue can show up in relationships. You're in conflict with someone, and, and there's tension, or silence, or anger. And there's that sense, there's that sense, okay, 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 I see, I see what's going on here. We've, we've, we've been here before. This isn't getting better. This, this is as good as it's going to get, hope fatigue, hope fatigue some of you are feeling hope fatigue because you're in a very intensive season of parenting. I mean, it is a challenge. It is a challenge. Your child does not approve of the way you parent. Huh? And they're not afraid to tell you. <laughs> and and it starts it starts in the morning and maybe You've already had your battle, maybe. But you're feeling like a failure as a parent. You're feeling this is, this is not going to change. This is as good as it gets. Hope fatigue, hope fatigue. What about, what about grieving loss? What about grieving loss? Loss of life. Loss of a way of life. Loss of a way of life. You, you, know, you can't get that person back. You can't get that season of life back. It's it's not going to change. It's it's never going to change. We're not going to get back to normal. We're not going to get back to normal. This is as good as it's going to get. Hope fatigue. Hope fatigue. Hope fatigue can come from physical pain, right? I mean, some of you would just love to have one complete pain-free day. Just one some of you are 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 watching online because you can't get here it's just too difficult to sit it's and 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 there's just no real prospect for change huh hope fatigue and then what about shame 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 from the past a past that you can't change shame from a besetting sin shame from a self-condemning heart Shame that says, I'm I'm a slave to my addictions, I keep self-destructing, this is how people see me, this is what I'm like, this is who I am, I'm untouchable, Uh, I'm damaged goods, I'm some version of a leper, I just want to run away from myself, and it's never going to change, it's never going to change, this is as good as it's going to get, this is just the way it is. I mean, we could just go on and on and on, couldn't we? Hope fatigue, is there help for hope fatigue? Yes, 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 there is. There is, there is. Take your Bibles and meet me in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. We are studying through this first century sermon manuscript, and we're looking at Jesus. <laughs> the theme of this magnificent sermon is Jesus is better. He's a better way of life. And when we get to Hebrews chapter 11, we see that the better way of life is a life of faith. And so these verses here in Hebrews chapter 11, and I'm going to read verses 20 to 22, and then I'm going to backtrack to verses 13 to 16. And these verses get our eyes above the fray of hope fatigue, and they help us to fix our eyes on Christ. Fix our eyes on on Christ's country, Christ's word, Christ's promises, because these verses tell of an enduring faith fueled by a hope that will not disappoint. Hear these words. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying... Blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar is not ashamed to be called their god for he has prepared for them a city this is the word of the lord yeah yeah, Jesus is better. He's, uh, we've learned in Hebrews that He's better than the angels, and He's better than Moses, and He's better than this mysterious priest Melchizedek, and, and He's better than Joshua, and he's, he's, he's better than the temple tabernacle system. And, and in Hebrews 11, He's a better way of life, a better way of life. And so Hebrews 11 is an ancestral gallery of men and women who exemplified the better way of life because it's a life of faith it's a life of faith and here today we look at three patriarchs from the book of genesis three examples of enduring faith fueled by an energized hope now look at verses 20 to 22 again isaac jacob and Joseph. What was in common about all of these patriarchs that the preacher points out? What We're looking at just a snapshot of each of their lives. What does the preacher point out? What is it that bundles them? What's the common thread that ties them together? Do you see the feature that bundled them together? Do you see it there in those verses? Do you see it? These verses capture the patriarchs at the end of their lives that's what's in common here that's what the preacher points out at the end of their lives so how you finish matters how you finish matters so something immunized these patriarchs from the debilitating effects of hope fatigue hope fatigue and what i want to know is what was it that protected them what, what might protect us? Let's see. Let's see. Let's go on a journey here. Let's start with Isaac. Look at verse 20. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. Now, now, write in your margin, Genesis 27. Because if you read Genesis 27, uh, you, you're going to see that's the invocation of future blessings. Uh, in Genesis 27, uh, Jacob, Jacob, tricked Isaac into giving him the blessing that had been reserved for the firstborn son Esau. The preacher knows that part of the story. The preacher knows that Jacob disguised himself as Esau. He knows that Jacob, uh, uh, you know, uh, put on Esau's own clothing and he put on goat skin because Esau was hairy and and the preacher knows all of this. But here's what the preacher focuses on. Here's what he focuses on. Hebrews eleven twenty By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings. That's a reference to Genesis 27, 28, and 29. 27, 28, and 29. And here's what they say. May God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you, and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. That's the invocation. And here's the preacher's point. Here's the preacher's point. Isaac did not possess in his person the material resources equal to the promised blessing. I mean, it's not like... Genesis 27, 28, and 29, Isaac, you know, takes his checkbook out and writes a big lump sum inheritance check for Jacob. That's not what's going on here. It's not like he transferred funds from his account into Jacob's. All Isaac had was faith in the promises of God. That's all he had. Uh, Isaac lived in the hopeful anticipation that God would keep his promise to generate and amplify and multiply the kind of blessing that would lead peoples, peoples to serve, nations to bow. That's why the scripture says, by faith Isaac saw that which was about to be, things unseen, so, so Isaac's future-oriented faith fueled hope. Hope is faith focused on the future. That's what hope is. It's faith focused on the future. That's what Isaac teaches us here, all right? But let's, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Clock's ticking here. Jacob, Jacob, verse 21. Jacob comes to the end of his life. You see that there in verse 21? By faith, Jacob, when dying, he comes to the end of his life. And what a life it was. What a life. My goodness. Jacob, a name that means deceiver. God changed that name from deceiver to Israel. 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 You have contended with God and survived. That's what, the, that's what Israel means. <laughs> You've contended with God and survived. And so Israel, or Jacob, had 13 children, 13 children, 12 sons, and one daughter, and his favorite son was Joseph. And Joseph was sold as a slave by his jealous brothers and then sent to Egypt. And while... There falsely accused of assault. And then he was imprisoned. And yet by God's providence, the dungeon slave becomes prime minister of Egypt. And there's a famine. And Joseph, he's prime minister. (laughs) And, and And then there's a famine. And then Joseph rescues his family. Brings his family from the famine. Brings it to Egypt. And, and, then, and then in Genesis 48, Genesis 48, and that's this verse, Hebrews 11, uh, 20, uh, 21. This, there's that, that's, that's this verse, Genesis 48. Jacob comes and he, Jacob says to Joseph, I never thought I'd see your face again and now I get to see the face of my grandsons. And, and so he sees Manasseh and Ephraim. Joseph's sons Manasseh and Ephraim and then Jacob says to Joseph I want to adopt them as my sons and he reaches out to bless them but his blessing upon them and so Joseph has positioned it so that Manasseh is here next to Joseph's uh, next to Jacob's right hand and Ephraim is here uh, here to Joseph's left hand because the right hand is the dominant and it's going to be the hand of blessing and and so 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 at the moment of blessing, Jacob's got his hands reached out uh, and 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 here's Manasseh and here's Ephraim and at the mo- at the very moment of the blessing, Jacob crosses his hands. Crosses his hands. And Joseph says, "Dad, dad, what wait a minute. No no dad. No no dad." And 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 dad says, "No son. I know what I'm doing. The older will serve the younger." That's that's <laughs> That's God's way here. And and once again, Jacob blesses Ephraim and Manasseh with a future based on the promises of God. Genesis 48, 16. Let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. So so he he invoked Blessings on his grandsons, and then Hebrews eleven twenty one says that he worshiped. So he blessed his grandsons, and then it says he worshiped. He worshiped while leaning on the tip of his staff. Now what's that about? Well, that's about Jacob's last wishes. That's what that's about. In Genesis 47:30, 47:30, 47:30, Jacob says, When I die, take my body to Shechem. To the cave of Machpelah, where Abraham and Isaac are buried. Why there? Because that's in the land of promise. Jacob wants to be buried where God had promised a land through whom his blessing would flow to many nations. So, So the blessing Isaac gave his sons and the blessing Jacob gave his sons would be a blessing flowing through them to the entire world. But again, but again, Jacob did not have... The assets in his bank account equivalent to the amount of future blessing. All he had was the promise of God. That's it. That's it. He wrote the check on the promise of God. Are, are you beginning to see what it is that fuels hope, church family? Yes. So, so, we, so we've got Isaac, we've got Jacob, and then, and then let's go to Joseph in verse 22 here. Joseph Joseph remembered or in some of your versions made mention it's it's literally the word remembered joseph remembered and gave instructions so by faith joseph at the end of his life remembered and gave instructions he remembered the exodus and gave instructions concerning his bones remembered the exodus what Exodus. Well, you got to flip to the second book of the Bible. That's the book of Exodus, which tells of how God emancipated Israel from 400 years of slavery and and the Exodus of Israel. But, 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 well, wait, wait. The Exodus is 400 years into the future. How, How does one remember a future event? How do you, don't people usually remember past events? The future has yet to happen. The future is about things not seen. Wait, 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 things not seen. That's Hebrews 11.1. 1. That's faith. Things unseen. So by faith, Joseph remembered things unseen. He remembered and gave instructions about his bones. And that's what the preacher notes. He's known by faith because that's what he did. Think about all that the preacher could have said. About Joseph he could have said by faith Joseph when thrown into the pit by his brothers blah 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 or he could have said by faith Joseph when he was left in the dungeon to rot blah 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 or he could have said by faith Joseph when he was 110 no no he says he says by faith Joseph remembered remembered he remembered the Exodus and gave instructions he, he said, one day, God is going to visit us. One day, God is going to bring us out of the land of Egypt. It's not going to be this way forever. It's not going to be this way forever. This is not as good as it's going to get. It's not. It's not. One day, God will take us to the land of promise. He will do this. And, and Joseph says, when he does, bring my bones with you. Don't leave me in Egypt. Don't leave my bones in Egypt. Don't do it. And sure enough, if you look to the second, uh, excuse me, the, the sixth book of, the, uh, the second book of the Bible, Joshua is the sixth here. We'll get to that in a second. Exodus 13, 19, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones for And then Joshua 24, 32, as for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought up from Egypt, they buried them at Shechem in the piece of land that Jacob bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money. It became an inheritance of the descendants of Joseph. Think about that. Think about that. Joseph enjoyed all the regalia of Egypt, all the power of Egypt, all the perks of Egypt, but he knew he wasn't an Egyptian. Egypt isn't home. Canaan is home. My identity is with God. I belong to God. I want God. Even at 110, he had not grown cynical or bitter or jaded. No, at 110, his heart was, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. And the very last sentence in the first book of the Bible, the very last sentence of Genesis says that Joseph was buried in a coffin in Egypt. And and, and that coffin, by the way, would have been interred in in an above-ground tomb. And so during Israel's slavery, when the Egyptian taskmasters punished them with rods, when Israel's bodies ached, when fatigue set in, when they cried out, God, deliver us, they passed by the tomb which held the remains of Joseph. And they remembered what Joseph remembered. We're not meant for Egypt. We're not meant for Egypt. Someday God's going to visit us. Someday he's going to take us to the land of promise. We have need of endurance. We're not going to shrink back. We're not going to go back. We're not going to shrink back. We're going to move forward in faith just a little while longer. Don't quit. Don't quit. Remember what Joseph remembered because Joseph remembered what Jacob remembered and Jacob remembered what Isaac remembered and they all remembered what God had promised to Abraham. They all remembered the promise of God. Put your hope in the promise of God. I sense a big idea here. Here it is. Here it is. Hope fatigue becomes hope energized when hope feeds on the promise of God. There, there. Hope fatigue becomes hope energized when hope feeds on the promise of God. I believe that. Energized hope feeds on God's guaranteed word looks to God's guaranteed city and longs for God's handcrafted guaranteed country. Hope. Biblical hope. Stands on God's word, looks to God's country, longs for God's city. Hope. That's hope. Hope is not a coping strategy for a life that's as good as it gets. That's not hope. Hope is an appetite for the word of God. Hope hungers for the promise of god when when your spiritual stomach growls what do you feed it what are you feeding your hope today and one author put it this way when it comes to hope there's only two places to look there's only two restaurants in town folks the restaurant in the city of earth or there's a restaurant in the city of heaven Where are you going to reserve? You can either look to created things to satisfy your longings, or you can look to the Creator. That's it. And when it comes to fundamental human hope, you either look horizontally or you look vertically, and if you look horizontally, if you look to creation, if you look to your job, if you look to your children, if you look to your spouse, if you look to other people, if you look to the economy, if you look to your ability to resist temptation, if you look anything that has to do with the city of man, you will experience hope fatigue. You will. And if your hope disappoints, it's because you're standing on looking at and hungry for the wrong thing. The wrong thing. Yeah. Yeah, earthly things cannot sustain, cannot sustain our hope because, because this world is sinful, broken, and fallen. And things don't get better just because we want them to. Things get better because someone steps in to do what we cannot do on our own. And so, church family, hope is not a what. Hope is not a when. Hope is not a where. Hope is not a why. Hope is a who. Hope is a who. Hope is not a condition. Hope is not a state of mind. Hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is not crossing your fingers. Hope is not a plan. Hope is a person a particular person. And let me tell you something about that person. Our hope does not depend on the Egyptian tomb of a dead prime minister. Our hope depends on the empty tomb of a resurrected king. And his name, do you believe that? His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And so, and so Lamentations 3.24 says, The Lord is my portion. I will hope in Him. I will hope in Him. Matthew 28.20 says, I will be with you always. This is Jesus to the very end of the age. The Apostle Paul says in Romans five four and 5, We boast in the hope of the glory of God. And this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. I'm telling you. Enduring faith in Christ fuels an energized hope. And you know why? Here's why, here's why. Because hope does not rest on my ability to keep the commands. Hope rather rests on Christ's ability to keep His promises. And that's what we're learning here from these three patriarchs. At the end of their lives, after they'd shared their hope with the next generation. Who's your next generation? Uh, Who's your next generation? After they'd rested their hands on the heads of their children and grandchildren. After they'd spoken words of blessing, words of encouragement, words of affirmation, words of a special future, at the finish line of life, they saw God's new world. That's the point of verses 13 to 16. They saw God's guaranteed city from a distance. I mean, they they greeted it from where they stood. It's like they're on one side of the stadium and they're looking on the other side of the stadium. They're waving. All they could do is wave. They acknowledge that they're strangers and exiles on earth. They longed for God. And because they longed for God, God was not ashamed of them. Part of my job as your pastor is to remind all of us every week in worship that the best way that we can live as mothers and fathers and employers and employees and educators and trades and and uh, 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 medical professionals and students the best way is to remember our future. Remember our future. Remember that we're not home yet. We're not home yet. We're citizens of God's city. That's our, he's our primary identity. And therefore, therefore, we are exiles on earth. That is who we are. That is who we are. And, and, and C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought the most of the next. He said, aim at heaven and, and you get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you get neither. Yeah. And so when people see our selfless service here and now, when they witness the quality of our lives, and you know what? Uh, let me just show you some uh, pictures of a roster of our brothers and sisters in Christ at our first Saturday service Uh, uh, both here on our campus uh, as we were uh, meeting needs with love in terms of uh, feeding the hungry and then also the work that happened at Salt and Light yesterday morning at, at, at first Saturday service. When people see that selfless service and when they witness the quality of our lives and when they experience our integrity and our work ethic that They're going to ask, what is it that makes you this way? What makes you tick? Why why are you the way you are? And the answer is verse 16, because I desire a better country, a heavenly country. And, and, And therefore, God is not ashamed to be called our God. Because he's got a city for us. What does it take? What's it take for God to say, I am unashamed to be called Randall Allen Boltinghouse's God? What does that take? What does that take, friends? It takes a faith that fuels hope and a hope that looks to the future. It takes a hope that hungers for God. I want God's promises. I want God's homeland. I want God's son. I want God. I want. that's what it takes that's all it takes that's all it takes and it's not because God needs us to desire Him it's because He knows that He's the only one who can satisfy us Amen. so here's what's going to happen you're going to leave today you're probably going to run into someone they're going to say what did you do today well, I went to church what would the preacher tell you what the preacher say? Here's what you say. All right. Here's what you say. They ask you, "What the preacher say?" Here's what you say. Say this. I want God. Practice that. On three. One, two, three. I want God. There you go. Amen. Heavenly Father, we believe. Help our unbelief.